Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this episode, I got to sit down with Dan Raffle. Now, Dan is the National Coordinator for Smart Recovery, which is an organization that helps people with addictions. And in this episode, I sat down with Dan and we chatted more about his own personal journey. He struggled with addiction in the past and he's been able to be set free from that, which is incredible. Yeah, and he was just a really open and honest guy with an amazing story and a lot of value and wisdom to share through that. And we had so much fun at the same time. He's a real larrikin of a guy. He's from Scotland, so maybe that's part of his his culture and his heritage. I'm not too sure, but yeah, I had an absolute blast sitting down with him. I learned so much, and his story is pretty heavy in some part, and it's been amazing to see how he's come out of that on the other side. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dan Raffle. I had so much fun recording with him and I learned a lot and I know you will too. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye guys. So what were you saying? You're saying it's about a year, it's been a year since like you you first um what did you? What did well, I remember I was interested? watching a couple of your initial ones, and I was like, "That's quite interesting." And I sent you a message just to say, "Like, good job," and uh, you know, happy to kind of have a chat with you one one time. And uh, and he said, "Yeah, definitely." And I think you were obviously looking for people at that moment. Yeah. So within a couple of weeks, we'd line something up. Yeah. But yeah, it was March twenty seventh, two thousand and nineteen, and I and I only knew that because. When we finally pinned it down today after multiple times, <laughs> yeah. I look back and I was like, no way, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. crazy. It is nuts, like, isn't it? Where does life go so oh. fast when you're in this kind of, yeah. And I, I, it's one of those things with, it's, um, I know you find yourself saying every year, oh, this year's going so much faster. Yeah, yeah. But, it, and it sounds silly, but this year has gone so fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what it is with this year. It's, yeah. I well, can't keep up. March, still at March. So I still, I, f- I still feel like it's the beginning of the yeah, year. Yeah, true. Still. I still like, I feel like I'm in that kind of, you know, we're not right into the new year yet. You know, some of the resolutions are still clutching on. You know, yeah, still clinging on. Still trying to figure out if <laughs> you want to commit have, to it. <laughs> I don't have resolutions. I don't. Well, I mean, we, as a family, we tend to have a word for ourselves. You know, like um, sorry, a word for yourself. Yeah, like a word for our family, some mantra or some type of kind of philosophy for the year. Yeah, yeah. Like to, and this year was balance. Yeah. You know, because uh I just think you can just focus too much on certain things mm. and it pulls you away from things that are important. You're just overextending you know? sort of Yeah, thing. just just no margin left mm. in your life, you know? Yeah. It was um, Which is key. You mm. run at capacity just constantly. Mm. And uh, when something happens, you you wonder why your kind of wheels are falling off. You know, like yeah. it's like because I'm not allowing myself that space to yeah, exactly. to adapt and 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 just kind of rest as yeah. well. You know, like and, and I think as well self-care. the um what I've found, and especially something I've been sort of focusing on at the start of the year, is that that balance. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but it, like, well, it's it's so different for every single person. So like the, the scales are tipped differently. And so I think so often we see, like I've been told before, like, Oh, you know, that's not, that's not balanced. That's not a balanced lifestyle. You can't do that so often. And I'm like, well, hang on. I have to figure out what, 
what's balanced well, for me as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, it was something that I do talk about with, um, you know, participants that I work with and stuff, and I'm sure we'll get to that later on. But um, it's talking about a balanced life, but really your values and your core beliefs are completely different to mine. Yeah, exactly. Who am I to say to you yeah. that your life's not balanced? Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like pretty much like a, a, a control, controlling and a judgment yeah. upon you and what you choose for your life. So you figure it out for yourself. Mm. There are certain domains that are common. Yeah. <laughs> Family, <laughs> friends, work, mm. spiritual, you know, health, all mm. these normal things. But if I was to ask you to rate them of importance and also rate them of how much you're actually prioritizing them. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be very different. Yeah, exactly. Because everyone says health, most yeah. important thing. It's yeah. the first thing. Or family. Health or family. Yeah. The thing is, you know, if you've got none of them, it just makes it difficult. If you've not got good health, it's really difficult yeah, to do anything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you can have everything but else. But we don't great. always, we say that's important, but we don't always prioritize mm. it. Yeah, yeah. So, Health's the most important yeah, as I've lighted yeah, up a cigarette. Smoking away, I just want to be fit and healthy and <laughs> yeah. eating Big Macs yeah, and stuff. Have it's my like, family well, did a box well, for myself. That is delicious though. Like three-piece box with extra four pieces. I saw, um, this is another quick little tangent, I saw in America they now have a um, KFC released like a donut. So it's two donuts with chicken in between and that's your like burger. Oh. And it's like a sh- like one of those get palpitations. Just <laughs> yeah. <that way. laughs> but it's like a glazed, like a glazed donut, and they're oh, like, "Oh, this okay. is our new dish." You like that? Well, so. look, I mean, to be honest, nothing's going to surprise me. I'm a Scotsman after all, <laughs> yeah. and the deep fried Mars bar is where the is that from? Of that Scotland came. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. You know, let's just get you know something with thousands of calories and cover it in sweet butter and dip it in. I've never a had big one. Pan of lard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better? <laughs> to be honest, delicious. Yeah, yeah, I could have quite. Only a wee half or something with some ice cream. But yeah. honestly, I've not, I've not had that for a long time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think I'd probably have a heart attack if I. <laughs> trying to make good choices at the moment. Yeah, it's all about the balance. Got a, got a wife who's. It makes good choices in our health, but uh, I'm, I'm getting there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do what you can do. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Scotland. So yeah. like, obviously, when I listened to you, you're from Scotland. It's pretty thick. Nah, mate. Hold on. <laughs> I've awful. got a passport now. Oh, that's size so, Australia on it, right? That's not too bad. I'm going to stop that. That's, that's going to get embarrassing. That's actually really quite good. Yeah, from Scotland. And I thought to myself, I saw your little podcast, your little podcast, your huge, successfully amazing podcast. Well, by the time people yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, going to YouTube now, and I thought, you know what? If this ends up on YouTube, I I, I would encourage people to put the closed captions on, <laughs> yeah. just to see what the Scottish accent sounds in closed captions. Because honestly, I've watched some Scottish comedy and things like that, and the closed captions oh, on it is hilarious. You just can't keep what up. stuff comes up like yeah. it's hilarious. And to be honest, I have a fairly refined accent now because I travel and I've yeah. trained people and stuff and I can't talk in the same dialect. No. You know? There's no way yeah. people would understand. So even though I've got an accent, um little bit of Australian comes in there. Yeah. So and you it, find that you're actually are you intentionally kind I of I have to slow down. Yeah. I have to enunciate my words. Yeah. Enunciate my words properly, <laughs> Richard. Um but honestly it's taking me a while of people just going Yeah, yeah. What? Well, there's been quite a few times where I've been speaking to you and I'm like, 
and that's me really trying. Yeah, honestly, uh, and I can get to the story later. But my my in laws, where we developed a relationship over Skype, because yeah. they were in New Zealand. <laughs> we were, when, you know, my fiance. It's quite a different at accent. The time was in uh, Scotland. They'd be just. What do you say? <laughs> what? what? They I guess and it's then, good though. Like they they couldn't really pass too much judgment because they didn't well, know yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just let's try it out for a little minute. Let's see if you can understand a couple of little Scottish dialect. Yeah, phrases. go for it. Because obviously the Scottish language, traditionally, uh, the old language is Gaelic, right? Yes. But no one speaks that anymore. No. Uh, probably the quite like it's, so it's probably pretty, the chuchters the 70 80 90 year old people up in the middle of the highlands might understand yeah. a little so bit. is that a like a is that a totally different dialect like uh, yeah it, like, it yeah. sounds you would all not, different words yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. like what you just like yeah, got right. some stuck in your throat mate. like you <laughs> like deep fried mars bar in yeah your throat. <laughs> yeah it's a deep fried mars bar <laughs> <laughs> you're having a heart attack maybe that's what happened <laughs> it's not a language at all it's just some deep fried mars yeah, bar that's why it's died out because everybody else died out that's <laughs> yeah, realizing that uh, yeah healthy options um so that doesn't get spoken much yeah uh, in a normal population in scotland but each region has a dialect. I'm sure that's the same in Australia, but not as people not as, say that. Not a traditionally long yeah. culture of, of language really in no. Australia, obviously. Other than the, I mean, you talk We're about indigenous. Criminals. You've got you've got thousands of languages indigenous, so probably not. You know, yeah. the dialects are a little bit different. Yeah. Um. So you might have certain words, you know, but there is a kind of a, a standard Scottish that people would know as well, like certain dialect dialects yeah. as well. You know, like even just you can't. I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Get what I mean. Yeah, it just means. Do you know what I'm just saying? Just that do a thousand understand? times too and fast. It's that quick. Yeah. Like, uh, what are you having a bit? Nah, not a chance. What are you having a bit? What's ha- that? Having means if you've never seen the Proclaimers, that's <laughs> actually one of their lines. When I haver, oh, oh, which I... means when I'm when I'm chatting on a bit too much, oh, okay. talking too much. Yeah, so right. what are you talking about, Richard? What are you having on a bit? <laughs> yeah, right. So there's, there's, there's words like that, and I don't know where they come from. I don't know if some of it comes from the Gaelic or not, but, um, you know, and I think probably back in the days as well, not only was there that speed of the accent and the dialect and the random words, Yeah, I probably spoke a few fruity words in there as well, you <laughs> yeah. know. So every second word would be F and that and what have you, yeah. you know. That's just kind of life back then. So, you know, if you'd met me back then, mate, you would have no podcast tonight. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. YouTube captions will, will never not a, pick not up a, any of that. Not a chance. <laughs> nah. So did you, where were you born? What, so you are born in Scotland. What part of Scotland? Um, yeah, a place called Kirkcaldy. Um, what's Kirkcaldy famous for? Jack Vetriano. Do you know Jack Vetriano? He's oh. a famous painter. Snow Patrol? Oh, yeah, yeah. Snow the Patrol were for Chasing Kirkcaldy. Cars. Is that that yes, song? Yeah. yeah, Snow Patrol. Oh, right. Right. So, so good bad. Uh Born there, but didn't grow up there. Um, so I'm what? Uh, now I've got to count back the years when you, how old you are now. <laughs> I actually, I, I missed a year of my life. Oh, really? Or, or I thought I was younger. I think two years ago, I was like, I was 39, I was like, people ask me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be 40, and they were like, wait a minute, you were born in 70, 
oh, I'm only 39. <laughs> and I'm like, I gained a year of my life. I'm like, what am I going to do with that year? <laughs> yeah. right? And this we're going to do something everything. really super positive. And now nah, I'll just do the same stuff I've done every year. Um, so but, you uh, gear yourself up to turn 40. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Happened. You get to a certain stage, you just start forgetting how old you are. I'll be 41 <laughs> in June. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Grew up in Fife, which isn't which is where Kirkcaldy's like a county. Oh uh, yeah, I've heard uh, of Fife. Sort of, um, so St Andrews is probably the closest area that people okay. know because Wills and Kate obviously yes. fell in love there. Um, and uh, so grew up in a, a small village there. Really, um, <clears throat> I moved. I was in a bigger town. When I was told about three. Then I moved to a, I call it a village. I don't know couple of thousand people maybe yeah okay, like a country to... town almost in australia um, it felt it felt bigger to me in that when yeah. i was younger like um i have been back since and the roads are small i'm like they feel like this giant i'm like wow <laughs> this is crazy the perspective of yeah you when you're like you know seven eight nine whatever yeah that would be strange um, actually but i'd say it was a i'd say it was a town i'd say it was a town no it wasn't a city in it, or a village village somewhere in the middle of there yeah but, um yeah, pretty normal place, to be mm. honest. Normal Scottish little little Scottish town. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. And it was actually it's actually a really good place to grow up. I think you know. Um, Probably being a bit smaller, were you? Were you kind of like? See, this is the picture I have in my head. Is like everybody kind of knows. It. Not not that small. Not that small. Not that no. small where like <laughs> everybody weird. knows each other's business. So know? not like, like one of those like BBC kind of uh like a you know like the British Like detect- Emmerdale or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Probably the size of Emmerdale. I don't know. Um <laughs> n- everyone didn't know everyone, but you know, you'd you'd know a few. Yes. And obviously you'd grow up in a there's only one primary school there, so you'd know everyone in that school and, and their families and stuff and that, you know, so uh, I wouldn't say everyone would know each other, no, so it was okay. a bit bigger than that. But um, <clears throat> you know, it was a it was a pretty pretty decent childhood in some ways. I've got uh, when I was thinking about this podcast, and I just like, it's a crazy when you start reflecting on yeah. your life and stuff. And um, well, that's why I like sitting down with people, because yeah, it helps yeah. them kind of do this a bit. And uh, so sleepy little town, you know. And uh, I can't remember my first memories, to be honest. <laughs> well. <laughs> remember your first memory yeah, i that, don't know does that even make if you sense? put pressure on me to say what was your first memory i don't actually know no I, I can remember being in ladybank like you know when i was young and mucking about in my garden like playing in my garden and stuff so um but you know primary school was cool you know it was fine um i was kind of you know fairly social a little bit shy growing mm. up slow to warm up i like to say <laughs> okay yeah, yeah um but i always you know, I had a few few friends, and you know, most uh, didn't have too many enemies growing up. Or that's always good. More importantly, when my, I got a bit older, that's even more important. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a good good place. I was just reflecting on some of the mad stuff I used to do as a kid, and it's very different today. Mm. I couldn't imagine my son. I mean, my son's only five, but <clears throat> I remember just be quite common at the weekends after primary school or whatever to get your backpack, your jam, your jam and peanut butter sandwiches and a wee bottle of scoosh, a bottle of ginger, a bottle of fizzy juice from the <laughs> shop, you know, the big bottles, you get 20 pence. Yeah, yeah. Put them in, away on your little bicycle. I'd be away all day, we'd just cycle until, you know, we got somewhere half a day 
and we'd be out. And, and I'm talking eight, nine, ten year old. My, yeah. my, my parents wouldn't see me yeah, all day. Yeah. And I'm literally cycling up highways. I'm not called highways, main roads. Main roads, right? yeah. <laughs> Busy enough. <laughs> me and my mates just like, yeah. Cycling up the hills, climbing up the hills with our bikes, just yeah. having, our, having our peanut butter sandwiches, cycling back, you know. As long as your parents, it was like, as long as you're back before the lights yeah. are on, all good. But like, like, no phones, no like no mobiles, no nah. nothing. So if something happens, oh, like, who knows? <laughs> yeah. not, you know, we've not even got our name written on our underwear no. or anything, mate. There's nothing. There's nothing. You no know, one. Like, yeah, that's it is crazy. Hey, even when I was a kid. <clears throat> That's not not that long ago. Yeah, it's okay. No, it's a little while ago. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's come to terms with that now. Um, same thing. Like the beard kind of gives it away. Yeah, I'm trying to grow it out for winter. Just left school. I've got nothing else going on up here, yeah. so I better just drop it down. <laughs> but um, well, yeah, same thing. We used to go riding for ages and ages. Yeah. Like probably not up like highways or main yeah. roads, but yeah. Why is it different? I don't know. <clears throat> I I I think it's different. And I've had this discussion with Denny, I think, as well. Um, I think it's it's different because now everybody has a phone. Yeah. I think phones have really changed everything. So because we've now grown up with a phone, we don't feel like most people can't even they don't they feel naked <laughs> without a phone. Mm-hmm. So they don't feel safe knowing that somebody's just a, a button push yeah, away. Yeah. <clears throat> and therefore if you don't have a phone now it means everything. It means everything's unsafe, um, which, in reality, is is false. But it's a hard mm. call now because I think when people say, "Oh, but the world's so much worse," I don't know. I, I, I don't know for sure. <clears throat> um, I mean, you could argue, right, from a biblical perspective, mm. that's true. Mm. It will continue fall. It will continue being worse. It will get worse. And it will be like the last days will be, you know. Um, But I think, you know, this connectivity, phones, Facebook, media, just the way that we're apparently meant to feel more connected makes us far more distant than we've ever been before, right? Yeah, definitely. But I think it portrays all this bad news. You don't turn the news on for good news, do you? You barely <laughs> no. really get the little fluffy cats being saved no. out of the tree kind of story anymore. No, not a chance. It's rape, murder, this and that. Just horrific. Or a cr- like all coronavirus. Well, I said to Sarah, I'm not going to get on a coronavirus tonight, right? But, you know, maybe just a couple of seconds. <laughs> yeah. But it's this fear mongering, right? And this reaction to stuff. Yeah. No, I 100% That's really agree. quite disturbing it shouldn't be a surprise mm. the bible says it's going to get worse man believers are going to fall away following mm. the wrong people you know like so i i take it with a pinch of salt you know like do i know what these viruses these things are going to do no i'm not going to make a comment with you richard i have no idea yeah exactly right? i'll leave that to the professionals <laughs> even though sometimes i don't fully trust them yeah i don't trust the media fully I don't trust pharmaceutical companies fully. I don't, you know, there's agendas and this stuff. I don't know what's it all about. Yeah. All I need to know is I'm kind of enjoying the random toilet roll stories, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm concerned for some people, obviously travel plans, wedding plans, all this horrific stuff that's changing people's lives, mm. right? I'm, I've gone to go Scotland later in the year. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but yeah. like in the end of it, I'm just like, you know what? Just get on with your life, mate, you know? 
wash your hands, just yeah. do normal things. Yeah. I've got a normal amount of toilet paper in my <laughs> yeah, that's cupboard. Good. Um so away, yeah. And you know what? In the end, man, if it comes, my door frames are covered in the blood, mate, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that's gonna worry me. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? I've and I think there's it comes I think it comes back to that balancing that we talked about before. Like I think it's important to be a little bit informed. Like it's mm. it's important to not be naive, but if you're just sitting there, especially on some of these, like, we don't really have it in Australia as much, but these 24-hour news. Like, yep. if you're sitting there and just watching CNN in America right yeah. now, you, you're just terrified. Yeah. I don't want my kids watching news. No, no neither do I. Like, it's it, it's just, just frightening for them. You yeah. Know? Like, and they, I heard them ask this for the first night, what's that coronavirus? Mm. Yeah, it's hard to explain it you as know, well. So, anyway. Yeah. That's probably as much as I want to talk about the coronavirus. Me too. It's one of those. Uh, I'll go. A few funny things on Facebook about, you know, obviously like the the beer and stuff. They're really (laughs) affected by this. Just like people are like, oh man, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Sheep fear mentality. Yeah, people go crazy. And they they don't have a shepherd to follow and trust, you know. That's that's the worry about it. Like I saw this, I saw this thing and it was, this is my last little bit about it. It was a couple, it was a video of a couple in, I think they're in, Carindale or something and they had two trolleys like stacked with toilet paper yeah like, like just just think about what what are you doing well maybe they were I don't know maybe they were doing something else who knows maybe it wasn't to do with coronavirus <laughs> at all they had like but a, it was just an a, Egyptian kind of reenactment yeah. kind of group or something or they're just, just like, like toilet papering someone's house yeah. or something it's just unfortunate no I, I mean you know it's fair to say I think we knew it's just this panic they're like Stock up, you might get quarantined. So yeah, and it's like, well, why do you? I mean, you've probably got enough toilet paper to last about four years, five years. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. how much? I don't think it is a kind of lactose. Lactif- but also, <laughs> you've got a trolley full of toilet paper. Maybe you'll need some food <laughs> if you're worried about that toilet yeah, paper. Yeah, like yeah. you're gonna run out of food yeah, before yeah. you run out of toilet paper. <laughs> like, but anyway, well, you're not gonna need the toilet paper if you're not eating it. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna need, you have That's what I don't care. get. Like, how much food uh, do these anyway. people have? But um, anyway, so you're back. We're back. We'll flash back a bit. You're back in Scotland again. Did you have um, siblings? Yeah, I got two two older brothers, uh, mum and dad. My mum and dad are still together. Um, so two older brothers. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a gap. I think there's about six years or something in between. Okay, five years maybe. And they still all live over. They're both. Still? They're both. Uh, they're not. They're, none of them are in Scotland. My direct family. I've got other family in Scotland and stuff. But they're down in England um, at the minute. Um, okay. Which you know I could share a little bit about in, about in a minute. But um, I just thinking back in as well, like you know this this kind of free and easy childhood. You know, it was it was really good memories. You know, and I mm. went back to this place, the Lady Bank, and to walk around i just there was some awesome memories there you know mm. there's nothing bad yeah no, no real bad memories of that awesome. place at all which is fantastic that's very really lucky good. and you know cycling around up the woods making gang huts like i remember probably like 10 11 years old right and i, and I always used to hang out with older people yeah so i had a mate who was in the uh the, the ta like it was army cadet type thing. oh yeah so he was you know so he had air rifles and all sorts of stuff. And I had a couple other mates that would just like want to be a G.I. Joe guys, like yeah. serious kind of knives. They're like 10, 11 year old, like nunchucks and all sorts. Yeah, just, right. you know. And we'd be up the woods, right, in the forest. 
like literally been digging holes, right? Spikes, right? Tiger spikes <laughs> and covering it all in that. That's like joke. snares, you know, proper like you seen the movie Predator. Yeah, yeah. You know, where these tree trunks. Because <laughs> old older brothers, they were doing all the lifting and stuff. We had what we call death slides with flying oh, foxes. So we just climbed the tallest oak tree with this like full steel grade stuff and tie it to the bottom and we'd just be sliding off it and stuff. But I didn't even think, man, we'd leave that like that. Yeah. And this is a, 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 thorough, a thoroughfare of old people walking dogs and stuff. And oh, that. What happened? Like, I was just waiting on the news reports, like 94-year-old with a Scots Terrier. Yeah, yeah. Like impaled <laughs> on, a, on a tiger trap. And I'm like, but that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I actually loved do. it. Up the woods, rear rifles, running around the railway track, shooting pigeons and stuff, man. Yeah. 10, 12 years. Just wouldn't do that nowadays. Nah, it's amazing that you he's know? still here. Like, <laughs> yeah, he made it. <laughs> running around rail tracks and stuff, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, that's you know? it's crazy. But, uh, hey? Really, actually, really good childhood, to be fair. Um, it was interesting, you know, I kind of, I can move through timelines and we can talk about other things and what have you want. But um, it's fine. I think uh, primary was good. You know, for me, I was um, I was walking in the shadow of my brothers a little bit. Okay. So all through primary school, and I'm talking, you know, 10, 11 years old, we, we leave primary. It's different here. You you don't go to prep or anything like that, kindergarten. It was just straight into primary one when you're five. And then okay. primary one to seven, yep. that's primary school. And then you go to a senior secondary school somewhere. Yeah. It's a Bill Baxter, so Ladybank Primary. So all through primary, I'd, I'd never get hassled. Mm. I was considered the tough guy. Is that because you're, why is that? Just because of my brother's yeah. reputations, you know, they were yeah. bigger, they were tougher. Yeah. You don't mess with no, the, refrel, the referrals and stuff, all that's Danny referrals. So they always, I was just called Danny growing up. I'm yeah. like, Danny, <laughs> Danny boy. Like Greece. And uh, yeah, and uh so yeah, and, and primary six, primary seven, I was, you know, I got labelled the hardest guy in the school, and I'm mm. like, I very rarely get in any fights. I don't, <laughs> you know. So I, I actually started to kind of like, yeah, yeah, take on that persona. Yeah, yeah, my RFL brothers, mm. you know, like you know, and yeah. so I was, you know, kind of validated. Yeah, you, you know, it's just, I don't know. Maybe it felt the insecurities that I had. Maybe it just felt like. You know, there was some respect there and stuff, you know. I, I'd, you know, I've been in the odd punch-up and stuff over the years and that, but um, nothing nothing majorly serious, you know. I'd always get in little spats and fights with friends and just punch-ups here and there, you know. But I feel like a lot of people, you, at that age, you kind of, you're still trying to figure yourself yeah. out, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And But high school was very different. Okay. So from a, you know, 30 people, 40, maybe I made 40, 50 pupils to like, you know, multiple years of schools and bigger guys and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm not. And you're now the little, you're now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a wee guy. I'm not a big guy. I never was, you know. Uh, I bulked out a little bit, way more on the (laughs) Mars bars in the last few years. Um, But uh, then I just kind of was like, whoa, I I, I can't continue that. Yeah mindset because i'd get battered you, you know what i mean smashed. so i never got into any serious fight in high school one wee punch up was over very quickly but i'd always be around 
older folks, as I said, I've always been hanging around old folks. I had friends my years, but I was always hanging around. <laughs> Why lunch, do you think that was? Times. Like, I don't know, mate. Um, because it wasn't as if I was trying to be older. I was always into kicking a soccer ball around, doing kid stuff, mm. just playing with remote control cars, playing with toys all through primary. It wasn't as if I was trying to be something I wasn't. Yeah. But maybe when you get to that 12, 13 year old, you're trying to figure out who you are as a man, yeah. you know? Um, and it's interesting because through those high school years, like I did pretty well. Like I, like all through primary, I was kind of in the top you know, of section grades. of the grades yeah, and stuff. Okay. And all the all the reports were, he'd do great if he applied himself yeah, and just yeah. concentrated <laughs> or, you know. So that was the same and it just kind of went further in high school because I was always in what they call credit. There was like gen, uh, foundation general credit, right? Okay, yeah, so I was yeah. always in credit everything. Yeah. But I never really did very well with it. Yeah, Because right. by the age of 12, 13, you know, the old testosterone... <laughs> kicks in Richard yeah, and yeah. I know, about you know that. the physics class doesn't seem as appealing as the hot chick next to me <laughs> yeah, yeah. and my focus just went yeah you know um, I know I know what I know that <laughs> um so that uh you know, a lot of my high school was just you know sitting sitting you know trying to chat up girls and stuff mm. and then and then at lunchtime that sounds bad Okay. Oh, it's not going to get as bad as what I might tell you later on, right? <laughs> I'd I'd take my pocket money, right, and uh, or my lunch money, and I'd buy a pack of cigarettes in the morning, like yeah. thirteen year old or whatever, and sell them. So buy a pack of cigarettes for like a pound fifty, right, pound twenty, and sell them for fifty pence each. I make a total killing. Yeah, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah I wish I could, that's I wish like that your would, lemonade store. Wish that would stalls. continue. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. Some people have lemonade stalls. You just sell cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I might start school. a toilet roll now or something. That's, <laughs> yeah. I've got three forty-eight boxes in my garage. Well before this oh. virus came up, we just bought in bulk. And oh, I thought, you're maybe, ready then. Maybe that's where yeah. ready for the zombies or yeah. or to make that'll be the next Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> no. I said I'm not getting into politics here. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't go down that bear way yeah. again or that rabbit hole or whatever we call it but uh, <laughs> like high school uh, it was alright it was starting to decline interest in, in that stuff you know I was still still kind of hanging around there but um, when that kind of 13, 14 year old hit and the testosterone hit and figuring out who you are as mm. a boy you know or a man with your little one little oh, yeah, bum fluff kind of thing. Yeah, you grow it and just like put it over your lip. <laughs> yeah. Make it look, you know. Um, Who do you I think you? I don't think I even got facial hair until like my twenties or something. At that then time, I went grey very quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At that time, when you were, I guess, in this now, say 13, 14, 15, trying to figure out yourself as a man, who do you think kind of were your? Who were you looking to at, in that stage? Like, who were your influences? Yeah. Do you think? Um. Definitely my brothers. Yeah. Now, um, that wasn't an intentional thing. It wasn't a conscious thing. And the reason being, um, and I've spoken, I've shared stories and testimonies with my dad as well. As I say, my, honestly, my parents, I, I wanted for nothing. Mm. You know, I had a good, a good childhood. I'm really fortunate. There's so many people out there hurting, you know, from broken marriages and all sorts of horrific stuff that's happened to them. I grew up in a, in a good family and my dad is, his work ethic is second to none, you know. 
Yeah. Um, but he was a welding fabricator. He was um, working night shifts, uh, all, you know, all the time and a lot of the time. So during the week he was sleeping or I'd see him at night when I'd be watching my cartoons and he'd like, see you later and he's away at work. Yeah. So the weekends and stuff, I might see him now again, we might do some stuff or... I remember him taking me to soccer games or taking me to stock cars, you know, normal kind of stuff and that. But he was busy. He had his own things he liked doing as well, building kit cars. He'd build mm. his gardens and yeah. doing all these. He's always really handy doing stuff around the house. He can pretty much do everything. Mm. Like, he's kind of one of those things where, like, he doesn't go, I need to go buy that. He's like, can I make it? You know, yeah. those types of things. Like that, I, wish I'd, I wish I'd tapped into that more. It took me many years to be a bit more handier when I went into a trade after school yeah. and stuff. So with my dad not being as around as much because he was working so hard to provide for us and he did so well doing that, my brothers were there, you know. One particularly, you know, my middle brother because, and I kind of got on with them all, but then I started to not really spend as much time with them because they were doing their own things mm. and I was the young guy. Yeah, you, know, they didn't, you just get on. Yeah, I was playing soccer, what have you. It was just like, um, but one of my brothers, he, when he got a bit older, so I'm talking about when I'm about 13, 14, and he's probably 18, 19, 20, you know, that kind of age, that became much more attractive for me, you know, mm. towards the end of high school, because I was seeing him running around in these flash cars, well, probably a Ford Escort XR2 or something, I mean, you look at it now, oh, it's man. not, that's <laughs> flash, a Cortina, you know, um, <laughs> You know, but it was like, uh, and the girls and all this kind of stuff. And you started hearing stories, you know, and this is where this kind of reputation came from, mm. you know, and this kind of hard man image that he had. And he was, you know, really, he really uh, filtered down to me. Mm. Um, and then because at school, I was started getting into music as well. And I don't mean music as we do today with the guitars and all that, like that probably involved with church at the moment. But literally, um, DJing, you yeah, know, rave okay. music. So, yeah. you know, I'm talking 78, so I'm talking to the 14, 15, I'm talking early 90s, you know. Um, the rave culture was quite big mm. in Scotland. Um, so I was into music, in the rave music, so I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just mind Where, numbing. And then there's like, a big drop. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> so I just started getting into that. We started going out to parties or, you know raves and stuff you know so under 18 raves at that point and i was i was like 14 year olds and i was hiring buses and stuff and paying so the entrepreneurial was even then yeah that's i don't know what happened mate no. i just kind of tailored off and well, maybe like, there's something like my happen. focus has gone somewhere else and i realize money's not everything you know yeah. and, and, and there are riches in heaven but too. you might be still using that entrepreneurial spirit in we might find out later Possibly. in something <laughs> else so, you know, it was in the music, the raves, I started DJing, uh, you know, this kind of rave music, just, uh, it's just mind numb and stuff. I actually started listening to it sometime night on radio with these, I was just, just pure reminiscing on these nights, man. And um, so look, with that comes certain, uh, I guess, curricular activities, Yep, we would say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you these 150 RPM beats per minute music needs to kind of be fueled somehow. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, quite common to come, come across amphetamines, LSD, uh, ecstasy, mm. you know, and this was kind of become the thing. So towards the end of school, I was like, I need some money, man, you know? Mm. And what happened was um, 
my dad lost his job and there was quite a few hundred welders at the time looking for work and he kind of just thought I've got to I've got to make sure you know I'm going to be okay so eventually they made the decision to move down to Somerset where he's originally from and my mum stayed up in Scotland for a while selling the house till he got jobs and stuff like that but by that time I was so much more immersed in that life Mm. Um, so I remember you know just coming home and all sorts of shapes and sizes like um, taking all sorts like every every weekend would be like get school out the way and I had milk rounds and stuff just to get little bits of money but as soon as 15 I could leave when I was 15 at school um, by a, a few weeks I had just turned 16 um, so technically left school when I was 15 yeah um, I think in May or something my birthday was in June or March or something I was like, I've got to get a job. So at that point, my mum and dad were going to move down. They said, look, you can come with us. The two older brothers are going to fend for themselves up here. And I said, there's no way I'm going with you. Man. There's no <laughs> way. I said, you know, because at that point, I probably was quite detached or I detached myself from them a little bit because I, you know, I was in a different lifestyle and I was mm. probably wanting to hide that from them. Yeah. Um, so I said, nah, man, I'm, I'm leaving school. I'm getting a job, you know. So I got a job. I've had many random jobs. My first ever job was working on an egg farm. Yeah. I was stinking, man. I was, <laughs> but it was money. So I was like, right, money, Friday, Saturday night, all yeah, night raves. It. All night raves, just going for it, man. Yeah. Like mental, just popping pills. And constantly. what was it that was attracting you to that? Do you think, like, was it the, you're saying like you started off by getting into the music. And then you're going on, you went on to these sort of under 18 yeah. raves. And then obviously you get into some extracurriculum yep. activities, taking drugs, this sort of thing. The, yeah. What What's keeping you coming back each time, do you reckon? Uh, it's a culture. It's a culture and identity that was created you mm. know, for us and it was exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it got worse, you know, as time went on. But well, I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to pretend that taking drugs was good <laughs> like it gave you such a buzz man and just such a euphoric just oh man this is yeah. like this utopic kind of place you know um and because i was in that space trying to find myself in life looking for something that sort of drew me to it you know and that um appeal and my brothers were involved in it and then as time went on my brother um got involved in even more stuff like he um there was like armed robberies and all sorts oh, wow. of stuff going on right yeah. um and some gangs and just stuff that was getting filtered back i'm like man this is exciting you know yeah this is exciting i remember i was probably still this is where i'm still teetering on the childhood thing maybe 14 15 year old i might have had some toy guns like what you might call nerf guns or something now you know yeah. in my house and i remember the police coming raiding the house my, my parents house uh, taking all my toy guns away yeah, right. because of my brother, you know, and I was like, but that didn't scare me. <laughs> I was excited. Yeah. Um, and you looked, you were looking up to your brother. I was still well. looking up to him. That was, that was the role model that yeah. I was going for as if subconsciously yeah. my dad, it was not as much at that stage because he might've been away down South and stuff. So ultimately, um, you know, that was at living for the weekend, partying out, just getting absolutely smashed out of your face. Mm sorting yourself out on a Sunday, go back to work on Monday, yeah. do the same again, repeat, you know. Because I guess it's hard to, once you're, once you are in that state, you have that culture of people, 
you're taking those drugs that are making you feel so good. It's hard to to not do that on the weekend and go and do something else and feel as good. Yeah, once you're on that kind of conveyor belt, you probably need something to snap you out of that. And uh, I I honestly don't think my dad knew much about it. I mean, he knew a little bit about my brothers. My mum a little bit, because she was kind of in and around, you know, what we were kind of doing, and she was trying to kind of be there. But, you know, to be honest... we we didn't allow her to, to yeah. be that parent. Yeah. You know, we were too, three of us are probably too strong at that point in regards to, you know, you don't get to tell me what to do, man, you know. Mm. So sit down, yeah. smoke a joint right in front of you, you know yeah. what I mean? Or yeah. even a few puffs snap. She's <laughs> yeah. But it was just like this. Anyway, um, so they eventually moved away, eh? mm. Uh And my dad set us up in a flat. And I guess he thought, you know, if I set my boys up in a flat and they'll look at each other and stuff. And he said himself, maybe I was a bit naive at the time. Um, but he just didn't know the half of it, you know. Mm. Uh, and when we moved into that house, man, that was that was the next chapter. Yeah, okay. It started getting worse. Because you had your own space now. We had our own space. We had no rules. Yeah. Um, And we were living in this flat. It was a not bad flat, like a three-story kind of flat. It was, it was all right, you know. It was nothing to write. And how old are you at this time? I I just, I was sixteen. Still sixteen. So I was in my own flat. I was sixteen years old. My two older brothers. And to be honest, um, I'd started an apprenticeship, so I was a landscape gardener, trade by trade through that. So I've I've always managed to kind of keep working through it. And in some ways, I was probably had a bit more responsibility in my heart than my brothers did. So I was always kind of working. I was trying to pay the bills, you know, and yeah. still get wasted and just get carried on. And that just kind of got sucked out of me a little bit. And I, I still continue doing my apprenticeship. But um, but they're just 16, um, the DJ and just, that was, the raves were over. Because what happens on Sundays is you need to take downers. Mm. Like, you know, Valium, all sorts of stuff to bring you down so that you can go to work. Is that how, so... I'm a bit naive when it comes to those sort of drugs, but so they'll, they'll come on, Richard. You, you can tell us all about your drug use in the band. Yeah, <laughs> not not Phil's, but um, I had so, three ibuprofen once. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> I had two before yeah. you came. Um, so did I. I'm gonna bust it up back. Um, that, so that they'll you you just stay up on them. How long? How long you, if you need to no, take? It all depends how much you take, you know. Yeah. But we would be going out to all night raves, so I'd be having three, four ecstasies. I mean, you hear stories, one just kills people like yeah. that. So we were three or four X's, amphetamines, acid, you know, whatever we had, we'd just take it. We yeah. didn't care. Yeah, right. If I had the money, I'd just be popping them all night. Yeah. Um, and just being a mess. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Sunday comes, you come home from the night out, whatever, Friday, Saturday, whatever, you know, the rave will finish at six, seven in the morning, so you're dragging yourself home. You might get to sleep, but if not, you're going to have to pop a handful of... Because you you're know, just so amped. You just That's cannot, just a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's a stimulant, man. Your nervous system's like... Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah. you know, you pop pills just to go back to sleep that day and try and sort yourself out, get back to work on Monday, you know, and just yeah. repeat again. Wow. You know? But what happened when I moved into this flat, the raving, and I started to sold my decks, my music and everything, um, and a lot more other ways, I guess, of engaging in that drug world came about, you know? So, like... Anything that I say, I'm not, I'm not proud of, but I'm not ashamed about it. Mm. Okay, because of the end result, and I guess yeah, what God's done story. in my life. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. um, but it was a pretty scary moment. I was 16 year old in a flat. You know, there was 
drug dealing going around all the sorts of place. Um, you know, quite often you just be sitting watching TV or something, whatever. Ring at the doorbell, your first instinct is like it's the cops or someone, and you pick it up, flipping knives or bats or something at the door, ready to go. Like, and it's like I'm 16 year old. Not that, as I said, I'm not a hard man, so uh-huh. I'm involved in that and trying to be all kind of like, yeah, yeah. You're trying to become that. Yeah. My brothers are there and they've got old friends, you know, knuckle dusters and all sorts. And I'm like, so I'm excited, but I'm breaking it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm crapping I'm myself scared. at the time. I'm scared. I'm a little boy, sixteen mm. year old, you know. Mm. Um, so you know, I was still kind of excited. I was still into it, you know, and I was still there and getting involved in it all and that, but. And I was honestly never a violent person myself. I didn't like it, even Mm. though it excited me. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Like I watch, I'm a big boxing fan and I even watch some UFC UFC and stuff. I don't like people getting hurt, but I like watching it for some reason. I like that combat. Do you think that the reason it excited you is because you weren't a violent person in a way? Like, do you think because you weren't necessarily like that, you're seeing you're in this experience in this environment also now really. and that's kind of maybe you were just i was just living a movie i was just watching this movie mm. unfold you know i didn't know about it you yeah. know like i don't know if it would have got as excitement if i started getting stabbed and all sorts of stuff like i think it yeah. might have t- but it went a little bit pear-shaped <laughs> yeah because yeah. you know, I, I find the stabbing is a little bit of an inconvenience <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah a, imagine bit of a dampener on your day yeah no, you no. know but um <laughs> but and i remember drug busts in my house and stuff um and we got busted up at a friend's house um, and there was something in me, this instinct, because we got busted in our house. We had nothing that day. And then a week later, I went up to my friend's house and we went and we're all sitting down. We were just on a few joints and nothing major. And I said, look, mate, have you got anything in the house? Because I've just got this feeling, man, I don't like it. Like, this is Thursday. It's about the same time we got busted. You got anything? Nah, no, nothing in the house. I was like, cool. Sit smoking a joint, a couple of joints. And I mean, you can just swallow it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. You know, he stands up with a baseball bat at the door, getting kicked in. Obviously, the drug score comes flying in. He's ready to, you know, smack them out with a baseball bat. He's like, put the bat down. I'm like, what? <laughs> and obviously, we all got arrested, got taken up to the cells. And lo and behold, he's got a stash full under his stairs of thousands of pounds worth of drugs, wow. replica guns and all sorts. And now you're involved in so that. So we're on the cells, you know. It was my yeah. longest period of uh, at the uh, privilege of uh, Her Majesty's. It was a, a four-night stretch in the local police cell because they were trying to figure out. And, you know, I, and again, I'm not a grass, mate. I'm not telling you nothing, you know. I was just up hanging out. I was here with my brother, you know. He was here. I was just with my brother. My yeah. mum was 17, 16. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do I know? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't grass anyone, even though I know it was that. You just don't do that. No. Nah. You'd, you'd end up. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but eventually there was a guy that was there that did stitch him up and uh, we got let out. And uh, I remember going back to court for a week yeah. for this court case and he ended up getting seven years. And wow. uh, yeah, I, I, I had to point him out. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he's over there. You know, did you know he had, I didn't know, you know, didn't know he had drugs, just, you know. Anyway. Um, crazy. That's crazy for a 16 year old. Yeah, it was just the way it was, you know, like, yeah, just all you knew. There was part of me that was scared of it, but part of me it wasn't. Part yeah. of me was just like, this is what life is all yeah. about, you know, so let's just do it and I'll try and stay out of trouble and had my wits about me, I guess, and I've been fortunate. Um, and so what happened after a year or two, we moved out of that house and we went separate ways and stuff, but then 
at about 17 years old, heroin came on the scene. Mm. You know, we're talking, yeah, mid 90s, so that's 95. I was 17, right? 94, 95. So, you know, by that time, and I don't mind sharing that, we were injecting drugs, you know, mm. amphetamines, whatever. It's just, it just evolved into that. It was mm. part of it. Um, and heroin came more and more on the scene. Started smoking it, you know, it was fine. Someone told me you can get methadone off of the doctor. I was like, sweet. So I went to the doctor, completely hammed it up, said, I've got a heroin addiction. I'm just mad with it, man. You know, I just, and he, I'm trying to, I've got a job. I've got my apprenticeship. I'm trying to hold down. All right, fine. Signs me a meth script. I'm like, yes. And now you've got right? another drug. So I've got heroin here. I've got, so I'll never ever need to want for anything. And, you know, we'd be selling whatever we need to sell on drugs or whatever, just to continue functioning. But that was the worst decision of my life, mate. That got grips of me. And so I was ended up on heroin and methadone. I'd be on and off for about 17 to about 22 or something like that. Yeah, right. Um, 22,002, so 24. Yeah, well. Yeah? Um, and honestly, some of those times... Okay, memories, but like you know, still enjoying a lot of it. <laughs> like it's <laughs> still honest, doing, it's it still was, having an effect. Yeah, yeah. Know, we're watching Train Spotting and stuff, and we're like, yeah, you know, and that was just the culture we're in. Yeah. Um, but you know, there was always something that was kind of like, oh, man, is this it? Yes. Yeah. Because once, that, once that high comes. Yeah, I mean, I remember these appointments with my guidance counselor at school, and I can't remember this being on the. Uh, agenda mm. <laughs> you know i was trying to work man i was trying to keep down a job and i had to be honest with my boss one day and i said mate i said Look, i really enjoy this job you know and and uh, i was fairly fit and healthy in the landscape and you know you, you're fit and healthy yeah and then i was just wasted weekends and he started noticing days off just not me not functioning right just like what the heck are you doing man you know mm. bump crashing the car and stuff like that just um and I ended up uh, doing drug runs and stuff in his in the works van, you know. Yeah, right. So the so the DA man, they've got <laughs> my employment number plus splattered all over this van, man. I'm like, so thankfully nothing ever got back to him, man. But I, I came clean and I said, "Mate, I'm struggling, eh? Like, and this is what's going on." And That's good that you. I were remember able to, to that day, though, eh? Because um, mm. uh, uh, he was such a good guy, man. He was a young guy. He was only about thirty two at the time. He had his own business, and he was into drinking, like. He was drinking, womanizing kind of kind of guy, you know. But I was like, hey, it's awesome. He's cool, you know. Yeah. Uh, nice Mondeo fast cars and stuff. And yeah. He's like, you know, businessman, small businessman. But I was straight up with him, and he and he honestly just astounding because you know many employers would just send you packing, eh? Mm. And he said, "Look, mate, I'll let you, I'll let you go away whenever I can during the day to the chemist to get your methadone and you know, like to help you out and stuff." And so. So what is sorry to interrupt, but what is the the methadone? Does that kind of go hand in hand? with this is like well, it's my an alternative uh, opiate prescribed medication. To now, people might have varied views on this, right? Yeah, yeah. You talk to most people in the drug and alcohol world, you know, 
or people that are using drugs, methadone is a killer, isn't it, man? It's hard. It's horrible. It's hard to get off. Really tough to get off. Mm. Probably worse to get off than heroin, to be honest. Yeah, right. But it was it was brought in to be a, an opiate substitute to help people maintain so they didn't go out robbing and doing all this kind of stuff and just right. injecting and all that stuff. Because the problem is you you if you're just purely on heroin you need heroin well, when that comes off man you're 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 doing anything you gotta you get go and something, get it you know you'd sell whatever you yeah, have okay. you'd spend you'd rob you'd steal you'd do whatever you need to do so you know i guess it was a way that doctors were trying to do the right thing but the yeah. problem is they would never have support with it they just give me methadone and nothing else and i'd have a, a one appointment every four months or something with a drugs banker and uh drugs counselor and all i would i'd just tell them exactly what they wanted to hear just so they'd make sure i keep my script mm. right so they wouldn't take me off it yeah so you know there was no real help there um so it got pretty dark man you know like i'm not proud of it but i'd be selling drugs i'd be selling stuff i'd be stealing stuff out of shops i'd be out you know robbing um garages and things like that you know, at night taking chainsaws from mm. people's houses and stuff, selling them to my boss and stuff. You know they were stolen. I turn up with a chainsaw, I still saw yeah, you know, forty. Oh, you sell them to your boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell them to my boss, and then uh, you know he didn't ask what I'm spending money on, and I go and score. You know, like yeah. Um, so that that was a real struggle, and and at times through those years, I was always trying to get myself kind of sorted again and get myself off it a little bit. Okay, you know. Um, so I'm talking in my early twenties is when I realized oh, I've got to kind of, you know, I've got to put my head in a bit, you know? Um, so there was always part of me that was trying to get off the methadone, you know, just reduce, but still using a bit of heroin here and there. Eventually quite a number of times I, I got off it. And that's not off all, all the other stuff. I would mm. take anything else. Yeah. But for some reason, heroin and methadone were the just dirty, evil drug, you know? Mm. Um, so I was still smoking pot, I was still taking handfuls of iron, I was still taking anything there that come my way, right? Yeah. Just to stop me getting off the heroin. Mm. That was okay. Mm. I, I was okay with that. But but did those, did those, so I'm asking a lot of questions, but like, so all those other drugs, are they cheaper to buy or something? And that's why that, that cycle um, of... Pro- pro- probably, uh, probably to an extent, yeah. yeah. You know, cause Easier to come by. Heroin crack cocaine and stuff which was around and which we were using as well it's expensive you mm. know so drinking pretty cheap you know yeah. bottle of buck fast which is the kind of tonic wine that the benedictine monks oh, yeah, down yeah, in yeah. south of england make which is just like medicine like, <laughs> yeah. that, a couple of bottles of that you'd be good to go yeah. um volume you know be a pound a piece so you know for 20 30 bucks you'd be yeah. you'd have a good night mate you know you'd just be out of it and honestly i've i've complete blackouts yeah, right. Like, I remember going back to about 15 year old. Uh, my mate says that I took some Valium and I went back to my mum's, you know, at the house at that time. And I was literally like trousers around the ankles, shirt ripped off me, like trying to stop like big buses and stuff. Just like, eh, I have absolutely that. no memory of any of this. Like, my mates leaned me up against the door, bing bong, right? <laughs> And I just said, I've been drinking, mum, I've been drinking, I'm sorry, I've been drinking. And she put me to bed and my brothers woke up and went, what the heck have you been, what have you been taking? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm, I talk about it whimsical. Because yeah. I, I, yeah. It's your story. Not, yeah. I'm not. No. Um, 
but ultimately, you know, I'm talking in my, my early 20s, uh, my parents became Christians. We didn't grow up in a Christian family at all, right? Okay. Good, solid morals, though, eh? Yeah. Normal, good, rounded yeah. morals, you know? Um, the day became Christians when I was about 12 or 13, and they went to this church. My dad became a Christian first, and my mom, I think. And uh, you know, they might talk about God and the, what have you, you know? And when I, when I went to visit them down in England and stuff, you know, when all I showed my dad is that I had a job, I had somewhere to stay, and I never asked him for money. So he thought, all is well. I'm all right, you know. Yeah. And maybe the two brothers were struggling more, and he knew that, so he just like like my last son is doing <laughs> okay, you know. And I had that from him for so many years. They didn't yeah. know anything about all that stuff. Um, but they'd go down and they talk about God, and you know, I was kind of on the bus back or something. I'm like, oh right, God, right? If you're real, right, make like the tenth lamp post be off. All the rest of them are on, but just the tenth one, the light will be off. Go for it. One, two, three, nine, ten. Nah, well, you're not real then. Shut up, you know? Mm. No, forget about it. All I thought about was socks and sandals, you know, rainbow colored, the guitar straps, tambourines. Oh, oh, as, as in this know, is what That's they, what Christian Chris, is. And I thought, you know what, man? 60-year-old or something. Start to have those conversations. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> live my years. life a bit, a bit irrelevant to me now. I kind of believe something, but, you know, whatever. Yeah live my life. This is what I'm dealing with right now, you know? Um, and I didn't really give it much thought for, for a few years towards the end there of, of the kind of drug life. And, um, but what happened, um, my brothers moved away down in England to try and make a go of it again. And they didn't quite work out and, you know, they struggled and what have you, but they, they actually stayed down there. They never came back. Yeah. Um, I was left up here on my own. Um, living that life. I left my landscaping apprenticeship after I was time served and I started supervising and stuff, but I just left it because there was just no money in it and I needed money. Mm. So that was when the mid-90s, IT, yeah, man, that's what we're talking about, IT. So I went to an IT class course, dropped out after three months. By that time, I was scamming my credit cards and all sorts of stuff, yeah, you know, so like putting thousands and it. thousands of dollars, selling it for drugs. Yeah, right. Um, on the run from all sorts of stuff. Now, at that time, um, and it wasn't until I got past all of this stuff that I read my police record because <laughs> yeah. I started applying for jobs later on, you know, and I need police checks. Um, and they had intelligence reports on me for quite a few years for me doing yeah, all yeah. sorts of drugs, dealing and all sorts of stuff, but never ever, never ever got her charged or arrested for anything. And like, part of me was like, I'm too clever for these guys, man. No, I just think. They had quite an ego going on. Something beyond that that was obviously protecting me, yeah. you know. Um, so it got to the point where um, I, I went on the run from just it all and I went down to England and got off the drugs yeah, well. Off the methadone, everything. I was working again. I had my own flat. Just, just got off and by yourself. I, I was, I, I slowly reduced. It was quite hard, yeah. really hard. I slowly reduced to the point where I was just taking tiny little mills. But there was some of it. I just don't need that. Yeah. Still smoking pot and all that stuff. I'd still take other things. Yeah. Again, that's not a problem, right? Yeah. I saw thought. But my brothers were down there, and they were just still running around. So I just kind of easily fell back into that mm. again, you know. Um, in that environment again. End up, and, and I was pretty lonely down there. It was just me and my brothers. I didn't have many friends. It was down there for about a year. 
Uh, whereabouts in England? Uh, in Somerset, mate, down down in the country way. Yeah. Whereabouts is that? Kind of like the opposite to London down the west oh, coast okay. of Cornwall and stuff. Yeah, okay. Really sleepy, tiny village, like yeah. nothing happening whatsoever. Yeah. Right? So the drugs started creeping in again. I thought, man, I've got to get away from this again. So got bad on it again. Managed to get myself off. Yeah, <laughs> on and off it and on and off it for the, for the year. I realized I need to go back up to Scotland and get away from this again. So went back up again, started looking for work. I was training as a croupier at a casino. Oh, uh, yeah. At one point. Um, What's a croupier? Croupiers, you know, the guy that does the roulette? Yeah, that guy. I mean, Richard, I'm. You'd be a good my, croupier. My head is mush at this time, right? I'm mm. taking volume, I'm taking lots of stuff just to function, right? To mm. stay away from the heroin, right? And I'm. And I'm doing multiple interviews and getting through them, right? And doing math tests and everything, this calculation, because you've got to you gotta do all the... When I, when yeah, I, it's a bit in it. And, count all, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm managing this because maths wasn't always my strong point, right? But I'm functioning, I'm just getting through it. And I was just about to sit my test and the guy was like, no, you'll do that. And I said, mate, honestly, something within me, just this life, just this... It's just, I, I don't think I can do it, you know? Mm. Um, and that's probably when I started started really questioning like what am I going to do with this something needs to happen here right yeah. because I didn't want to be in that life of the gambling culture and all that stuff because you know that's what I was trying to get away from yeah that dark kind you of already had a few culture. cracks at trying to get away from that yeah yeah you know and um I was still taking volume I was taking volume just to function buying it off you know selling it whatever just to to get through these because Valium's like a relaxant, isn't it? So yeah, so the depressant just... Depressant, you know, that's um, the right word. They, they give it for all sorts of stuff. But yeah. I'm, so I'm like trying to do this croupier stuff and, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> so I said, look, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna give up. I'm not going to do the test. I'm going to, you know, and I, I got a cleaning job just in the University of St. Andrews and my mate at that time got uh, was doing golf caddying at St. Andrews and I really like, quite liked golf over the years. I had my wee hit about with mates and stuff. I thought that would be really good, you know? Yeah. So he got me a job at the caddying and I did that for a few years at St. Andrews, which I loved, absolutely loved it. Um, because um, I really started liking golf and I really started liking that. But the problem is I was earning cash in hand, doing two rounds a day, big wad of cash, mm, jump in the yeah. car, drive down to a place called Methyl, which was the hub of heroin down there, yeah, right. and just smash it out. And then up at 4 a.m. in the morning next day, let's go in the morning, back and back, just end up getting like that again. Yeah, just in the cycle into, again. Yeah. And um, so I don't I've just you got me on a roll now. That's all right. <laughs> I see you were talking about questions and stuff. <laughs> no, no. Um, this is what I'm. This but is what uh, I like honestly, mate, uh, at that point, I was again, man. You know, and caddying was seasonal, right? So you'd smash out the money, you'd blow it all, and come October, it's cold. The the, the golf course is shut, really, for yeah tourists, just... and I'd be on the dole. Yeah. Or selling drugs or doing whatever just to function or some crappy job, chopping veg or whatever you do, mm. right? But I'd just be f- surviving the winter, you know, and they were harsh. Yeah. Scotland winters are tough going, man. <laughs> yeah. Especially when Almost you as any, tough as Brisbane winters. Hardly any money, winters, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, a few years back, I'm seeing that this is how bad it got, right? I'd be living off just cheese and toast, yeah, like well. constantly, or that'd be it. I'd be lucky if I got a bread and butter sometimes we get a bit of toast. Wow. Just because all your money is just going yeah, into Yeah, just blowing it. Yeah, just didn't think. The first day you got money, you'd you know a good party, you'd get takeouts and all sorts, just have all sorts, and then it just be, pff, 
for the rest for the rest week and a half you have nothing yeah um and i remember raiding people's fridges in their garages and stuff trying to look for food yeah one of my lowest points it's quite funny actually though. <laughs> i don't i see i'm not i'm not ashamed of it at all i'm just <laughs> yeah. like you know what it's just stupid. it is what it is bala clavered up right yeah me and my brothers <laughs> bala, <laughs> bala clavered up right jumping into someone's back garden with a pitchfork Digging potatoes in the garden <laughs> just to get a feed, mate. Like, wow, that's for not talking about like, but like just looking pure mad. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Just some potatoes with some butter, man. Oh, awesome! Just surviving. That's some, I was yeah. a, I was a beanpole, mate. You know, yeah, beanpole. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big guy now, but I was because it thins you out anyway, doesn't oh, it? Oh, I had yeah. a, my mum looked at a photo when I was about twenty, man. I looked haunted. Yeah, like, I was skinny, white, pale. My most people in Scotland are skinny and pale. <laughs> This is like I'm ethnic now, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and and it got to the point where one of the the final year of my caddy, and I was through the midwinter. It was really really hard winter. Mm. Um, really involved in a lot of dodgy stuff, a lot of dodgy people. By that point, there was a lot of friends who had died. Yeah, okay. Overdoses, people that had good hepatitis C and stuff were really sick. Mm. Uh, I've had people, friends committing suicide, all sorts of stuff happening there. Um, scary, you know. And there's probably times when I thought about it myself. If I had enough drugs, mate, you know, I'd just be. Um, but anyway, I remember when was it? It was probably about April, mid-April. The caddying season was about to kick off in a few weeks' time. I had nothing. Mm. I was in my flat in Cooper and Fife freezing right <laughs> talking like two degrees or something right duvet because you haven't got enough money to put nah, the heater, there's no heater on. on nothing nah. no electricity i've yeah. got a candle right yeah nothing at this time sometimes even most of the time i'd have stuff but this night this this week i had nothing a candle nothing in the fridge duvet rattling man i was no. on drug. i was i was rattling off the drugs i was cold turkey man i was in a bad state i phoned my mom and i was like mom just send me some money man you know just i need you know anything just going to the shop just to steal a chocolate bar, a Mars bar. <laughs> just for something, you know, <laughs> eat. Anyway, she sent sent me some money, but she, she was talking about God and stuff over the phone that night. I didn't really. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, man. All right, I will, I will. Right, send me with some money. Send me some money. Anyway, I can't even remember that night, mate. Just blanked out, cried myself to sleep, man, just in a mess. Um, now I'm talking, you know, we were we were in a mess, man. Like if the, oh, my arms were just ballooned up from injection missing injection and stuff just i was on my own that night um i don't know what my mates were doing you know up to no good um i cried myself asleep and i woke up and my mum had said like go over to the there's a there's a place called the lighthouse across the road a christian bookstore I'm like so just go and chat to someone see if they can help you you know like i don't know what to just i don't know what to say yeah mm. just go in there get some help, just chat to someone, see if anyone can, can, can advise you anything, you know. The doctors were, you know, they were doing their best, but they, were, they were hopeless. They had no idea. Yeah. They had no idea what they were doing with, dealing with they people. They probably had so many people coming you know, in. Nah, there was nothing there, you know, yeah. and there was no, I didn't know any services, I didn't know anything there. Anyway, we went there and met this beautiful lady called Jane, who was in her 60s, and she put us in touch with a, a church just up the road, cause it was an alpha course. So we got the alpha course, I I don't know. Looking back, that that was the night 
That was the night I had encounter with God. I didn't even really fully know it. Yeah. I've not seen a, I've not said a prayer or sinner's prayer or anything. I just woke up that day and it was just something that says, you know what? It's just something in this man. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to, I don't know what it means, but something happened that night, you know? Mm. For you actually to act on it. Yeah, something happened and I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, and for everything that I thought about Christianity, everything that before, I was like, nah, it's, you know, let's, let's, let's see what happens. You know, what else have I got to lose? I'm mm. one death story, man. I'm, I'm just in a mess, you know, and uh, anyway, Fast tracking a few months, I'm doing the Alpha course and stuff, and I'm like, this, uh, this is right, man. This is true, man. This, I believe this. I believe God. I believe Jesus. You can set me free. You can set me free. You're not, not, not feeling it. <laughs> I'm going to church, singing and just, yeah, you, you can do this, God. And then I'm going home taking drugs. Mm. And my mates like, what the heck, man? Like, you said you're gonna do this. So why are you doing it, man? You know what, what's going on? And I, one of the things that stuck in my mind, I'm sitting there injecting drugs, right? <laughs> and my mate said to me, yeah, what would Jesus say now, mate? You know, what would Jesus say, you know? And I was like, well, you could have just, you know? And I thought, you're, you're right, man. And I said, what, one of the turning things that I read, I'm not a, a huge reader. I sometimes go through little spouts. One of the turning points for me was reading uh, The Crossing the Switchblade. I've heard of that. Yeah, a guy yeah. called Nicky Cruz. Crossing the Switchblade is David Wilkinson's, who was a pastor's uh, perception of the story of Nicky Cruz. Now, Nicky Cruz was a Hispanic guy that moved to New York and he was in the Mau Mau gang and he was the, one of the most notorious gang leaders in New York at yeah, that time. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Teen Challenge, you might have heard of Teen Challenge, yeah, heard of Christian, which is where Teen Challenge started through David Wilkinson and Nicky Cruz right. taking drug drug addicts and drug, you know, I don't, I don't use that term, but people are experiencing drug addiction into their church yeah. and trying to find healing. This is where this you know, world rehab started. Yeah, okay. Anyway, this story just really resonated with me, man, you know, with a, maybe not to the extent of what I'm reading here, but I thought, yeah, I can relate to this. But yeah, yeah. His journey with God. You could God. see yourself in parts of his parts story. Of it, parts of it, you know. Yeah. Not, as I said, I'm not a hard man. I'm not, a, no. I'm not pretending I'm the leader of the Mau Mau's in New York, right? Let's <laughs> no. get it straight, right? No. I'm a young, frightened little boy that's just trying to suss this out. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, went through the Alpha course and, and kind of got to the end. And I thought, well, now what? <laughs> you know, like, because I'm getting torn apart here, man, you know, in two worlds. And my friends were seeing the difference in me. Mm. And I wasn't hiding it. I was telling people I'm a Christian now. And they're like, oh yeah, cool, man. That's awesome. <laughs> but they, they didn't see me going mental. They were just like, he seems like, he seems more peaceful. He seemed... Anyway, but I was still using drugs. I was just, I've got to get away from this. So anyway, a couple that were in the Alpha course who were really dear friends of mine, um, uh, Jane and Brian. Brian's still alive today. He's you know, in his eighties. He lives back in Scotland. Jane passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I named my daughter after Eva Jane. Oh. Um, but ultimately, they mentored me through the Alpha course. And um, they had, uh, encouraged a guy a few years ago to go to this Christian recovery center, like a rehab in Edinburgh, and said, look, you should think about that. Because, you know, I don't know how else you're going to get away from this, you know. And mm-hmm. I thought about it, went for the interview, went okay. Came back that night, I thought, I'm just going to forget about it. I just didn't, I don't know if it's for me. I'm yeah. going to leave everything I knew to go to a strange city uh, it's just overwhelming, you know. Yeah. So, handful of volume, enough to knock a horse out. I'm, I'm straight. I'm, I'm like getting no effect from these whatsoever. Yeah, well. Now I know they're good, Richard. Because I was selling them. Mm. Right? <laughs> I know they're good, but it was like, what the heck is going on here? 
you know what, let's just go at the blooming prayer meeting that was on that night. I just, I can't sleep. It's like seven eight o'clock. I went, went up to the prayer meeting. I can't remember what happened. But anyway, went back to bed that night. Woke up in the morning. Like, what the heck, man? Opened the door, my mates come in. Like, what the heck happened? Well, apparently what had happened, right, about 10 minutes after I'd left to go to that prayer meeting, my mates came round to my house, which would normally happen, and they'd have drugs and random people with them. And yeah, just and you'd you get know, back into yeah, it. You know, yeah. fine. You know, I probably wouldn't be strong enough at that time. Anyway, what had happened, I wasn't in. You know, I disappeared 10 minutes before. They all went round to my mate's house. One of them uh, overdosed, this guy that they'd met that night, overdosed on the heroin that they'd sold them. Mm. And the police were all over the place trying to clamp down on the whole town, looking for everybody that was involved in it. So including me, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I was just kind of, whoa, like, and that crazy, man, you know? Like, yeah. I should have been out of it. I should have been involved in that. And I was just kind of plucked out of it for a few minutes. Yeah. Anyway, um... I got accepted into this place and I was thinking... Into the rehab centre. Yeah, yeah. And I was on the phone in my old town talking to my friends, Jane and Brian, like, I just don't know, man. I'll think about it. She said, mate. And I remember, Dan, Danny, <laughs> Danny, you need to make the decision right now. This is going to be the rest of your life. You need This is the biggest decision you're going to make in your life. And I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they said, well, look, come up to my house. Come up to our house in the, in the farm just outside town gave up my flat i just abandoned it i took some clothes and i just abandoned it i yeah. told my friend who's the landlord i knew he said like i'm just i've, I've gone I've, I've abandoned the flat sorry i just need to leave yeah. uh left the caddying job i had a car i just gave it away and a little nova it was not i just someone just take it and i went up and went cold turkey up in this farmhouse man that was rough like, oh that yeah was rough just i was in the hot bath shivering vomit and just for a week so i'd never slept never ate just in a mess anyway went into the rehab i'd always thinking I'll, I'll get myself strong enough after a few months and come back and i'll help you all out mate mm. you know because they're still my mates i still yeah. cared about them some of them yeah some of them i'll come back or i had an idea that the church i used to go i'll start a ministry and all and i just i was two days into that journey at the rehab and uh god just just like oh, man. Don't go back. Can't go back. Yeah. Can't go back. This is it. Yeah. This is where your life's going to start again. This is where you can get born again. And yeah. Well. Um. I got I got um baptized about two months later, and that that was the start of 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 the journey really for me in a different way. And it was hard. It was really hard. And then for the first couple of weeks, I'd actually used when I was in the rehab, and you would have got kicked out. Mm. Honestly, if I got caught, I don't know if I'd be here, man. I would have probably went back and and just lost the plot. Yeah. Um. Thankfully. You know, I yeah. made that mistake and I thought, man, it was a wake up call. And I said, look, that was the night I said, I'm going to devote everything to you, God. Yeah, wow. My whole body, my being, you know, not perfect in any means, you know, and I didn't successfully do it all the time. But even my my life, my sexual life, which was just, you know, I'm not needing to go into that, but that was what you lived for as well. It was just mm. one person, the next, whatever. Not caring about that stuff. Just, I never had a, girlfriend really mm. many partners and what have you but anyway i'm not just part, not of, proud that of, that. Lifestyle. Yeah, it's part of that lifestyle yeah. i said to god man i said look after nine months in that place i said i'm going to devote myself to you and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to even kiss another girl until you show me my wife right yeah. and even you know uh, and i made that promise to him so during this time uh, a couple of staff members were like oh you'd make a really good worker you know like a counsellor and stuff I'm like yeah that's 
you know, I'm a landscape gardener, I could do that. I thought, but no, this is, maybe I've got something to give. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe there's something in all this that can be of use. Yeah. You know? God can do something in this, you know, that might actually how long, be a waste of time. How long had you been in here? When you I was nine months I was in there. Yeah, okay, yeah. And then I moved into a support accommodation flat with the same organisation for a year. Yeah. So it was like the next transitional house to try, you know, and I got a job. I got, um, sp- I was wanting to get back into this, this work, you know, and use this experience to good, to benefit, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, so I started volunteering, a soup kitchen serving food for the homeless, volunteering at a youth organization, delivering drug education to kids at school, just mm. things like that, just yeah. to try and build my resume a bit. And I, I worked at a, <laughs> I can pretty much turn my hand to anything. Like, <laughs> give me give me a go, I'll either blag my way until I'll, I'll, I'll actually learn it yeah. or, or I'll be able to do it pretty quickly. You show me how to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. So I was, a, I was for a year and a half, I was a, a gallery advisor at a picture frame. So I was talking to people about artwork and also, <laughs> I didn't know half a fuck years to what I was talking about. I mean, colours and all sorts of stuff. It was probably psychedelic. Yeah. I could probably, that's all I can tell just you about it. faking it till you yeah, make yeah. it. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but the intention was just to show this organisation that I'd left as a client that I'm okay. And a year later, yeah. I'll, I'll apply and I volunteered for them for a year. And it was like a... It was like all you'd have all, all these overseas gap years. People come in to work for them for a year for okay. free, get some bursary or whatever. Yeah. So I did that. I stayed in the flat, met some awesome people. I'm some, still really dear friends with. One of them lives in Adelaide now, which I see right yeah. now. Awesome. That's amazing. So really lifelong friends I made there. Um, always intent to come back to that rehab. Didn't get the didn't get in straight away. And I went to work with the other a same organization, but in a homeless hostel. Eventually, I got a job back in the in the, the residential rehab, which I was really felt like I was called to be That's, back. Yeah, in. that would have been incredible. Um, so crazy to walk back in the door there and battle with that. Do these staff still see me as a an ex resident, or do mm. they see me as a colleague now? And I really struggled with that for a few yeah. years, like my self esteem and just am I am I accepted now? And, yeah. Um, but anyway, I was there for what six years or something. Um, absolutely yeah. loved it, man. You know, uh, such a family atmosphere as well. The staff team are all just best friends, lifelong friends. You know, um, and just and, such and, a difference. Well, the thing is, mate, and I, when I made that vow and I walked away from that life, I vowed that I will not let anyone in my life close to me that's, that that can that can is going to backstab me intentionally, or just I'm going to put people around me that are going to build me up and edify mm. me. And, Obviously, you know, people let you down and stuff. I'm not, that's fine. But um, but everyone around, I just trusted, you know. The residents I was in there with, not so much. People <laughs> stole off me, but I was I was forgiving and I was, you know. That's merciful. part of the role, was, isn't you know, it? Was like, yeah. But anyway, um, I was there for a while and, um, yeah, God just continued developing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm six years abstinent from everything, you know, like healed feeling like i'm just but i'm you know smell a perfume man i'm falling in love you know like it's like god where's my wife you know yeah, I, so i've made old, this commitment to you i've not kissed another yeah, girl true. right for six years how old are you now you reckon are you 30 are you 30 um I, I was um so 2002 so that was 24 so probably um 24 late at, at 29, something like 29. that. I got married when I was 30. So yeah. 29, right? Now, I, you need to keep your eye on time. Tell me how long we've got in Mobinot because I don't want to we, bore people. Just keep going for a while. <laughs> it's all good. Um, you if people get bored, they you can turn. 
Um, yeah, I'll let so it ultimately, last. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd be kind of putting myself out there to meet people, but very quickly I would know straight away this is not the person. And my, one of my best mates, who was my best man at my wedding, and he says, it's like you've got a little business card saying like, sorry, it's not going to work out. We're yeah. just going to be friends. And I'd, I'd be handing them <laughs> to these girls like because I'd be meeting these people and I'd have, this, I'd have the conversation with them to say, what's happening here? You know, is this something that God's doing? Is it not? If it's not, you know, we'll be friends. I'll walk away and, you know. Yeah. So it kind of there's a few like that. And then, but the problem was because I was immersed in this Bethany organization, that's all I knew. Mm. So some people at church and stuff and that. So I thought I'm going to put myself out a little bit broader. I went online. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I think of Fusion 101, Christian Connections or something <laughs> called. And I had a laugh with it, mate. People are on there super serious, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I want to, you know, godly women, this and that. Which is cool, man, you know, which is cool. I was just like... But they have like a... like a Super serious method, you know, yeah, just like... Yeah. And I was like, man, just ripping into the... Just having a laugh, you know. Yeah. And I thought, I, I like to have a joke. I like to have a laugh, man. I'm just... I, I, I take life pretty it's easy, pretty easy going, yeah. right? Um, anyway, uh, clicked on this little, this girl. She looks very cute. Thought I'd say hi, and she said, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna." I was about to delete my profile. She'd already pressed delete on it, and it takes a couple of days. But I managed to just get like the last day of when. She said, no, look, just connect me on Facebook. You know, I'm coming off this. Because she only went on it because one of her friends wanted to look at the profiles. And so she she was randomly dating weirdos, like weirdo Christian folks that were, yeah. you know, just really off the scale. Yeah. Anyway, connected <laughs> on Facebook. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm keen to meet up and have a chat, you know, and just see how. It, and I said, look, I just want to let you know my, about my testimony. I shared about my testimony. I thought, man, at least I'm, I want to be straight up. I'm going to frighten people off. I don't want to be with that person, you know? Yeah. So I told her, and she's like, it endears me more to you. Like, I really want to know more and stuff. I said, oh, let's catch up. She lived in Glasgow at the time. Uh, you know, girl called Sarah, yeah. who is now my wife. Yeah. Kiwi girl who was over and overseas doing lots of traveling, you know? And she, you know, she's an attractive girl. And, you know, she was kind of uh, living this kind of overseas life and it's just having lots of fun. But she was coming to the end of possibly going home and stuff. Anyway, we went out for a couple of dates and <laughs> I, I didn't want to tell her so too fast, but man, I started getting some heavy scriptures, man, really quickly, like really, like after about our second date, I got the scripture, I think it's Isaiah 60, 60, 60 I think it is, it's, uh, it says you'll be a royal diadem in the hands of your God, and you'll no longer be called Hephzibah, but you'll be called Buella. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> that so, you know, your little concordance, you look it up, and it says Hefseba means to delight in her, and Buella or something meant to be married. Two dates, me. I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> but I knew God was going to move fast on it because I'd made that commitment and yeah. it was a vow. And I'm like, okay. Well, yeah. Anyway, a few more scriptures came up and stuff, and I started sharing them with Sarah. She's like, ah, oh, nah, you know, she's like, she's gone. She was leaving New Zealand. She thought she was just. She kind of, she's kind of cool, you know, and she's enjoying hanging out with us. So she really likes me, you know. And anyway, um, some scriptures came up, and we were really, I, I was really analytical about it all. Yeah. Because I gave my heart to God, but my head was just like, yeah, trying she to logic was really broken hearted from different things that had gone on as well. Anyway, I read the scripture, Philippians 4, you know. Um, uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, present your requests before God. So the God of all peace that transcends all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm like, whoa, how cool is that? Because we were like, what's going on here, man? This is fast. This is happening fast. You're leaving. This is something really... So you're very awful. honest with each other. Oh, at that point, yeah. Well, she was, well, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's nice. I'm like, <laughs> but look. Um, and then I went to devotion. I was running a devotions with the guys the next morning. It wasn't my turn, and I stepped in with someone else, opened the devotion. Same thing. Did I be anxious? I'm like, oh, What? So I went to Saturday, I went to our house and I said, uh, I didn't say anything. I said, would you like, well, let's do devotions together. And we opened the UCB that she had. You're kidding me, man. Do not be anxious about anything. Prayer, guard your hearts. And I'm like, so that night we went out to this this fair, this Govan fair, which is a terrible fairground thing. It was awful. Like Govan is a really rough part where you're stepping over dog poo and yeah, needles. Right. And stuff. But we, were at the, we had the best time at this fair, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, I think I think they had some vomit on on her cheek or something. It was like <laughs> wiping it off. That's love for you, isn't it? Yeah. Some vomit on your cheeks. Uh. She hates fairground rice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I started saying, "Like, what's going to be these scriptures, man? Like, what do you make of it?" And she's like, "Ah, like, what do I don't like read into it. Like, I'm going. I might be going home. I don't know what's going on. This is, you know." And then later on, she's like, "You know, actually, cause she talked about her pa, who's her grandfather, who had passed away, and she said." One of the scriptures he did give me about um about my future husband was Philippians. <laughs> I'm like, and now not only that, he's the reason she came to Scotland. Yeah, right. He he never travelled up until he was seventy. He was a farmer, and he, when he hit seventy, I think. So sorry, sir, if it's wrong, but later ages he got remarried when his wife died, and he travelled the world. Awesome man, just went over all. And he said to Sarah, "The one place I want you to visit is Scotland." Mm. Wow. How awesome is that? Yeah. And then, so we're faced with this, and I'm like, whoa. So anyway, it got serious quick, right? I'm talking three, four weeks in here. Right? Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> no mucking around. And I, I thought, I'm going to share this Isaiah scripture with you. I'm taking a risk here. You're, yeah. you're hopefully, you're probably going to be booking your flights. I don't know where you're going to stay. She's thinking, should I stay? Should I get a new locum job? And anyway, I shared this scripture, and her face just went... And she says, you know, I've had that on my mirror for years and I've given that to my friends who have been having relationships, problems and breakups and stuff. I never thought it was really for me, you know, and like, wow. I thought, man, this is just mental. And after a week later, I proposed <laughs> 59 days, Richard, I was engaged to be married. Now I knew God was going to move, but I didn't think it was that fast. <laughs> and cool. I had a feeling it was going to be with someone foreign because all those volunteers, it was all Americans, all different yeah, people yeah. thinking maybe, I, you know, I'm so glad it wasn't America. Yeah. Right? Anyway, <laughs> you know, 59 days we got married and we only started to get to know each other through uh, engagement. Mm. It was hard. Mm. She was quite unwell. Um, vitamin D deficiencies in Scotland, she was quite sick. I ended up getting a Balhazia fever, dengue fever, all sorts when you're traveling, all sorts wow. of eating random meat things and just whatever. Yeah. Thankfully, no coronavirus back then. <laughs> um, it's probably worse, but I met Balhazia and dengue fever. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, we were planning a wedding in New Zealand. Uh, I wheelchaired my wife onto the plane to get married. Wow. Um, and even on, when we were in New Zealand, we went to some naturopath guy and stuff, and it ended up, he ended up being involved in the occult and stuff. So there was some spiritual warfare going on. We were, we were on the edge of our bed in our parents' room days before the wedding saying, 
you know, we walk away, man. We walk away from this because this is just heavy, man. This is really heavy. But there was this spiritual oppression upon us through these people and these things that we've got involved in, you know, yeah. this guy. Anyway, we found a, a Christian guy who ended up getting her pretty well very quickly, you mm. know, naturopath guy and stuff, and um, got her to the wind. Just, you know, she was fit and healthy. She was, she was doing great, you know. Uh, and and I was and she she was nervous. She was she was not wanting to bump me back to Scotland. She was just really quite depressed about Scotland and quite unwell. Uh, and I was like, well, we have to go back. Like I've mm. got my friends, my family. I need to go back and get some qualifications and stuff. Like I can't just you know. Um, but anyway, she prayed that she'd wake up that morning of the wedding with no anxiety. It was crippling for her, and she woke up. She says she just had this peace. Me, on the other hand, was absolutely myself yeah not because they're getting married because i had to sing a song at the wedding <laughs> i decided to sing songbird eva cassidy at the wedding <laughs> i was absolutely terrified yeah. at making a mistake this is this is a wedding man. this yeah. is my wedding yeah you know females have dreamt the whole life and i'm going to sing this song. oh man anyway got through it, it was beautiful it was a beautiful <laughs> wedding we moved back to scotland hard five years it was yeah. really hard um just because of the, the, the environment, she was in a job that was really bullying. It was really tough going. It was really tough. Um, mm. But we'd always planned to come back to New Zealand. Yeah. And didn't end up being there. Uh, we did a world round, round the world trip on the way to New Zealand. And we, we came to Australia. Random opportunities that my wife got. We were going to be here for 12 months. That was it. We ended up buying a, a little unit. We were going to just sell it and move away. And then, you know, we connected into a church um, before Gateway that we came that really made us feel quite welcome and we just thought, no, let's just stick it out and you know, ended up getting pregnant and then, you know, we're on to second child, onto the third house and now, mate, we've got Australian passport. Yeah. That wasn't, that was worse. <laughs> that I felt my accent that, was a, that was a bit of a hybrid. That yeah. wasn't as good as the, the first one. The first one was better, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've got to start with, g'day, mate, how yeah. you going? Yeah. We got a passport. That was <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and now, and so, yeah. yeah, wow. And so now you are working in a what smart recovery. So yeah, you're full circle so in Aussie. I've done a lot of different things over the years: AOD counselling, rehab, all that stuff. Um, Seventeen years I've been working in the field now, so I've been working in the field, you know, longer than the life I led lived in that yeah, field you know, yeah, you know so it's a far cry from my life now sometimes when i tell my wife some of the stuff she just still doesn't get it man mm. she's like i don't i don't i can't relate that to yeah. what you're telling me to who you are <laughs> like it's just bizarre i don't think in some ways i've changed no. the things i've done because like, i still felt oh my heart was good man and you know i wanted good things and i wanted a family and i wanted that stuff it just was robbed from me or it felt like it was robbed from me um but, you know, through that time of ministry as well, I was ministering through to myself through music and through poetry and stuff like that. It was really healing. And that's where the creative side came for me. I was, I never sung. I was, I never sung anything. Yeah, right. Uh, other than DJ stuff, I, 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 I didn't think I could sing. Uh, I started learning the guitar, teaching myself. I'm not great, to be honest. I've hit a real plateau, but anyway. Um, you know, and I loved that creativity side of it. And that's, you know, where I'm, Involved with the worship and stuff at church and that. I love doing that. Um, but yeah, Smart Recovery, sorry. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> so Smart <clears throat> Recovery is a, a worldwide model of group support for um, people experiencing addictive behaviours. Now, 
traditionally, it's uh, AA or stuff like that people have heard of. Yeah. So Smart's fairly new, uh, 1994 in America, about 2003, 2004 in the Australia. So uh, my part of my job is to promote that and try and develop that with my with my team that I work with. So, yeah, I mean, bizarre, you know, like talking about collecting a methadone script to national program manager of Smart Recovery yeah. and the other side of the world. Like, it's bizarre. I mean, mm. Richard... As I've said to you, my health is is good. Of all the stuff I've done in my life, ODs, working yeah. up by a paramedics, you know, bloodborne disease, all that stuff, nothing. Yeah, right? that's incredible. No criminal record. Yeah. Like, so I'm not smart. <laughs> well, I am smart because I work for smart. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a different kind of smart. But I knew God's hand was on me there, man. You know, mm. like I would not be here today even if I'd got one charge. Yeah, I wouldn't get into the country, out, totally. which is quite bizarre, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Knowing the history of Australia, <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the actual criteria to get into the country would have a criminal record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they'd be like, "Let them in," but no, yeah. no, 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 you can't. So, like, like, you yeah. know, honestly, by the grace of God and the power of Jesus, managed to be here today with you, physically alive. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, but you know, I love smart recovery because it looks beyond the substance. And as I said, it wasn't the substance for me. It was a it was a heart condition, and yet mm. it was spiritual as well but physical a heart condition a mindset now smart's not religious in that sense it looks at um psychology of of behavior and human behavior which you know, guess what kind of god invented that eh? <laughs> you know i don't say that to my you know colleagues because you know I, i've got to just be mindful um that we're delivering a, a non-religious program but it's an amazing program because it looks beyond it just n- n- behavior you know and it could be drugs it could be alcohol it could be you know, deep fried Mars bars or Netflix binges or smoking or coffee. Yeah. You know? Um, There's so many different things. It there? doesn't matter what it is. If it's problematic or causing you to hook away from your values of how you want life to be, it's, it's an issue. Mm. Now, you know, I'm sure anyone that I know could benefit from doing a smart recovery program. I constantly am checking in with myself doing it on a daily basis. I, I was going to say I had a meeting with my wife the other day. So it's so formal. I had a meeting with my wife. <laughs> yeah. I had a coffee. We call it a date, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with kids, you kind of forget what they are, right? Yeah. I had a meeting with my wife. <laughs> I had a coffee last year or something. And we're talking about planning the week. And she's like, is it? You're doing your smart recovery facilitating. And I'm like, you know what? I am. Well, I'm not, I, I'm not actually. Well, I am. But it just becomes part of You're your You're using that mindset. structure kind of thing. Instead of the way I used to dis- dysfunctionally... Uh, think about things and, and react to things and condition behaviors there i'm trying to instill positive ones so i think anyone can benefit mm. from that and i can guarantee if you did some sessions at smart recovery you would start to improve aspects of your life that you might not be meeting well we the, all the have challenges and expectations you want yeah, on yourself we all have different and, things that we constantly are doing well, we talked about we new year's do. resolutions and what have you you know yeah but um yeah, yeah it's an awesome awesome program and uh I'm very, very fortunate, very privileged, and and uh, you know, it, it like it's not easy. Like mm. I, I, I actually think there's parts of my time of life now trying to be a parent and raising kids it might sound weird, but actually harder than getting off heroin. Yeah, it really is, man. I'm, uh, I mean, kids are refining, aren't they? <laughs> they will bring out stuff in you you don't even know is there. Yeah. You know, like God will use that. And I'm like, wow, wow, did I just say that and yeah. do that? Yeah. Far out, man. I'm like, back into God's word, praying. <laughs> just, 
you know, but we're all a work in progress, aren't we? And uh, no, by no means am I anywhere near um, perfect or where I would like to be in life, but that's the drive and motivation I have just to be more Christ-like as we mm. go on. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not there. Yeah. Um, I'll pursue and keep fighting the fight and racing the race. Yeah. You know, and people ask, would you ever go back to that life? And I said, well, I, I, I don't see it as a different life. Like it might sound weird. And in some ways I am like, you know, I was dead to my sins and now I'm born. I was born again. So yes, I get, I get that. But I can't forget that because it taught me so much. Yeah, it's and made it's you who you are. still part of me. It's still part of my life. And um, I don't want to forget that mm. um, because it's continually helping teach me and other people to make better decisions in life. Mm. And I still have to check in and do that. You know, I'm still making mistakes and things I want to do and improve my life on now that I'm just not doing. And I'm sure there are vices in my life that I don't want it to be there. Mm. You know, um, normal things that, people go through yeah definitely uh, but yeah like i'm 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 really privileged and love you know love meeting folks at gateway you know yourself and it's an awesome place to be awesome place to worship and be very very involved Mm. did not think i would go to a large church like that my wife and i walked into there thinking no way man no way well imagine when you were 16 if 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 someone had given you a, a picture of like, or if someone had said, "Oh, you'll be at a big church like Gateway," yeah, <laughs> on the stage at Christmas, <laughs> yeah, what singing in a red sequence top, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While you're at one of your, well, um... I'll prob- well, no, hold on, hold on, <laughs> flashback here, Richard. Right? Oh yeah. So Gateway Christmas Carols, red sequence top, yeah. I've actually worn something like that before. <laughs> Where was that? Well, back in my DJing days. Oh yeah. When we did a couple of nightclubs and raves, so let's say 15 years old, I'm DJing a nightclub, right? The Dance Domination Crew, we were called. <laughs> Dance Domination. Yeah. DJ Dominator, of course. <laughs> yeah. And we all went to like a spotlight type shop. Yeah. Bought all these red and gold sequenced suit <laughs> cloth and made them into suits and stuff. So it wasn't the first time. <laughs> no, you were <laughs> a veteran. Gateway, a red sequence veteran. Carols, there you go. But, you know, look, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If you took me back to 16-year-old, 17-year-old, you know, in the midst of it all and said, would you imagine yourself there? You know what? Before tonight, I probably would have said no. But I actually think because there was something there that I think God had planted even at an early age, Mm. I I, I probably did believe it because that's what kept me fighting. Mm. That's what kept me moving forward and not giving up to yeah, all true. that stuff that was going on because I knew there was something there. The details of it, obviously, but, you know, saying that, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. The journey's just starting, man, and hopefully, you know, God will and coronavirus doesn't hit my family. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure we'll be right. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. We walked into Gateway that week, right? Not knowing anyone. Mm. Oh, this is huge. Not, just not going to know anyone. I don't know if I've told you. Went to the welcome lounge. Me and Sarah talking to this lovely lady, kind of blondy grey hair, um, and uh, she's sitting talking um, to Sarah. And you know, Yvonne is her name. You probably know Yvonne. Anyway. Yvonne. Uh, oh, yeah, I think I do. Pretty much everyone in Gateway knows Yvonne. Yeah, she's yeah. like the connector. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so talking to Sarah, and she's like talking about New Zealand. She's just like, "Are you James Jet's daughter?" And we're like. Yes. 
It's like, how did he... Wait, what? And apparently when Sarah's dad, who was Indian, Singaporean, and grew up a, a Hindi, a Sikh, or whatever, became a Christian, left, you know, left and moved to New Zealand on his own, and, and moved in with a family, with a young daughter, kind of his age, and, and lived with him for a few years. And, and this is her, standing right in front of us. So not only... Well, we didn't know her, but she knew us. That's Even though she knew Sarah's dad before his mum knew her, yeah. before Sarah was born. Like, she's got more history with that family lineage than we did. Yeah. And I thought, man, isn't that crazy? That's amazing. And we walk away like, God, man, you're sitting here. You're up there having a giggle, aren't you, man? You're yeah. loving this. Just connecting you? the dots. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Um and then I and then I went a few more weeks with the music and stuff and I just thought, man, God just spoke into the music and all the songs that I'd been singing that week. Oh the whole set was like, I might this is it, man. This yeah, is we're, it. we're invested in this. And we get involved very quickly. Yeah. Uh didn't want to be passengers there because with a big church you're just getting engulfed and, and yeah. no no one. You sit on the sidelines. And uh um so you know, get involved in worship and we started life groups and mainly music and um you know, now obviously I'm running a smart recovery meeting out of, out of Gateway as well, which is on Thursdays at 9.30am. There you go, there's your plug. <laughs> there's the plug. <laughs> well done. <laughs> on the world famous Richard Bryan yeah. show. Yeah, definitely. There you go. For sure. So yeah, yeah. And then, you know, hanging out with folks like you, talking yeah. about all stuff. It brings awesome. back so many, so many memories, eh? And, and, and I don't look back on them with any pain no. or regret or anything, man. So That's good. just amazing. Good um, stuff. Yeah. That's great. Well, it has been awesome. We should probably wrap it up. I think. Yes, my wife will probably. Yeah, I've got a, I've got an assessment. A couple of, I've got an assignment for uni due tomorrow right, night, okay. and one on Thursday. Tomorrow night, so not tomorrow. So well, tomorrow, up, sorry, tomorrow afternoon. You're doing an all nighter tonight. I think I will be because I've been. I'm. It's, it's so funny. Like for the first couple of trimesters, I was I was like the mature age student, like bang yeah. straight onto it, smashing it out. This one, I don't know what it is. I've just been leave, just been slack. Struggling. Yeah, struggling yeah. to get in the game. So but that's the kind of mid dip, isn't it? Like, you know, you're kind of so encouraged and so and then you just kinda of, oh. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm critical of because dig your dig your way through that. Yeah. Because I remember stud like I'd I'd left with nothing. Yeah. Right? And I went back to uh, we'll wrap up, sorry. That's all right. It's all good. I went back to obviously doing a degree. Uh, and addiction studies when I was working at the rehab. Yeah. And I remember I was, you know, engaged with Sarah. I think we we're married maybe a year or two. Yeah, a year or two into marriage. And I and I didn't have any qualifications. So all the work that I'd done, I did a portfolio and I had to do this assignment just to get into uni. Yeah. And I wrote this thing and I let Sarah read it. She was like, What is that? <laughs> Obviously in a funny Kiwi accent. Yeah. I was like, What do you mean? She can't send that to uni. I don't think you understand what uni papers are meant to be like and she yeah. helped me understand that and I, I sent one that got me into the course and honestly the first year I was I was bailing out and I just I didn't know it was so hard I was working full time at the rehab and travelling down to England yeah, well. every three weeks to do tutorials and stuff living in living in another city commuting in just for a few days uh, and I remember at times where I was looking up to the stars my god I can't do this show me a sign alright back into it you know like <laughs> every two or three times that happened man yeah. I'm like, okay let's keep going and uh after nearly well failing in my first couple of assignments I have to reset them in that first entry paper which was just laughable mm. um i got my final dissertation i got a first yeah well, yeah it. forgot all of it by now like <laughs> honestly if you read my texts and emails I, was, I put it down to predictive text and now you can't touch your phone i'm voice text and as i said 
voice text doesn't pick up Scottish <laughs> accent. Yeah. So I'm sending all sorts of stuff to yeah. people and they're like, what? <laughs> Thankfully, most of it's not too like swear too words, formal. But there are some things, like when I call Sarah, sometimes it comes up with Satan. I'm like, I've got to just like, <laughs> sweetheart, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. Yeah. But, you know, the voice text doesn't work no. well for me. So no. anyway. yeah, hopefully um, uh, tonight it's been a little bit more understood. Definitely. The more you sit and talk to someone, it, you start tuning into the accent, don't you? You've understood yeah, yeah. 60% of what I said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do. <laughs> 65 I, Even at the very start, there were some words where I was like, oh, I have to listen in a bit more, but you do kind of, yeah. I hear a lot more. But anyway, I hope everyone's enjoyed that. <laughs> nah, I've loved it. I appreciate it. I love, love what you've been doing. It's um, a privilege. A year later down the track, I'm sorry it took so long. We made it happen. <laughs> it's all good. No, nah, it's been awesome. Thanks, mate. Really good. I've loved hearing your story. Good stuff. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate.